Hello, everybody. You're not seeing Andre today on the first screen. You're seeing me, Michelle Kaufman, doing my pistolero thing here. Um, Andre had jury duty and is busy, so I am in charge today uh, for our podcast, Inside Inter Miami. There is, once again, so much to talk about with this team. We, we never run out of topics about what to talk about with this team. And this, this season hasn't even started yet. The season has not started yet. This has been, I can't imagine there's any other MLS team that has had this much to talk about in their preseason as this team has. Um, we have a very special guest today, uh, Simon Evans, who is the U.S. sports correspondent for AFP. I've known Simon forever, for a long time, from World Cups, from Olympics, from NFL, from tennis. This guy covers everything. And uh, before we get started, and we do have so much to talk about, um, Simon, I wanted to have you just give our viewers and listeners a little introduction, a little bio into your background. And going back to, because I think your career is very interesting, going back to when you were a freelancer writing for the Rough Guides and then where you've been since then. I know Reuters, AFP, you've spent time in, in Italy, in the United States. Give us a little run through of your fascinating career. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Thanks for having me on, uh, Michelle. Yeah, very briefly, uh, I'm from England, the north of England, but I, I live here in uh, Broward County. Um, and uh, I uh, started off my journalistic career in Eastern Europe. Uh, I freelanced around mostly based out of Budapest and did a lot of stuff on on uh, soccer in different countries like Romania, Yug the ex-Yugoslavia, Czech Republic and so on. Um, after the uh, 1998 World Cup, which I covered for Reuters, they decided to, to take me on full time and they sent me to Italy. And I had uh, eight really, really enjoyable years covering the likes of AC Milan, Inter Milan, Juventus and so on, and Ferrari Formula One. I was Italian sports correspondent there. And then in 2007, was sent to Miami, um, covered a lot of soccer. Then uh, we came across each other uh, covering the tennis tournaments at Key Biscayne, as it was then, and um, moved on from that, did a lot of MLS, did a cricket in the Caribbean, all kinds of stuff. Um, and then um, after a while, a brief spell working for CONCACAF, I uh, freelanced, worked for the Washington Post and the Guardian and different people. And then went back to England for five years, where I covered the Premier League and the Champions League for Reuters. And then about 18 months ago, um, just before Messi signed for uh, Inter Miami, <laughs> a couple of months before that, I moved and joined AFP and uh, returned back to uh, South Florida, where, uh, yeah, I'm really enjoying covering sport and uh, enjoying life uh, down here again. Fascinating. Uh, it's amazing, all the things, the things that you've covered and the perspective you have. And so... Before we get into the the nitty gritty, what as someone who has a lot of contacts overseas in Europe from all of your travels and all of your work over there, what would you say is the general perception right now of MLS overseas and also the perception in particular of this team, of this club? I'm sure once David Beckham announced there's been a lot, you know, there's always been interest over there in this team because of that. But now with Messi and all his friends showing up. What would you say is the perception overseas to the league and to the club right now going into the season? Yeah, I think they are two quite distinct things, aren't they? I think the the, the view about MLS and, and soccer in general in the States um, has changed a lot over recent years. I think there's a – you look at the amount of scouting that, that clubs in Europe do of MLS players now. They scout this league intensely. 
Uh, they're recruiting players from this league. We see, you know, uh, Petrovic uh, in goal for Chelsea now, who was with New England Revolution last year. Many more kind of examples of that all across Europe. Um, so the, the, the respect for the level of soccer in MLS has gone up massively since, you know, when I first started covering the league back in 2007, when Beckham had just arrived and it was clear there was a massive gulp, gulf in the standard. Um, that's changed. I think people are excited. I talk to people who work in, in youth soccer organizations. They're coming over from England. They, they, it's seen that the boom before the World Cup is already happening. People feel like there's a lot of energy around it and a lot of opportunities. As for into Miami, yeah, I mean, people are very, very curious about what's going on with it. I think that, uh, you know, there's, 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 uh, the League's Cup campaign, I think, caught people's attention outside of, uh, of the U.S. in a way that I didn't expect it would do. Um, people really did tune in to, to see that story and, and see what was going on with Messi, even if it's only, you know, with the time difference, only a case of logging onto YouTube in the morning and seeing what has happened. But people I was talking to, they knew what had happened. Um, they've followed what's going on. They know what's just happened on this tour. Um, so there's a level of, of information there and an understanding of what's going on. But I think there is a danger that, you know, into Miami, if it doesn't deliver the results on the field, starts to look like a little bit of a, of a Harlem Globetrotters or, or an entertainment product that, that's going around, uh, you know, with a media circus around it. And, and won't be taken so seriously from a soccer point of view unless they get the results. Right. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, so this tour, this tour, the intention was obviously, you know, they, they want to make money. No kidding. I mean, this is, there is no other team in MLS that, that had the kind of invitations that this team had all over right. the world in Saudi Arabia and Japan and Hong Kong. These promoters were willing to pay big, big money to bring this team over and it's not the team let's face it it's it's messy it's messy and friends on tour that is what they were promoting that is what they were paying for and from ML from inter miami standpoint you know of course they're going to accept some of those invitations maybe they accepted too many maybe the tour was a little bit too long and too much and too arduous that you know that will be debated you know until the end of time probably but um but you know so they went on this tour the idea of the tour, in addition to making money, was supposed to be to showcase the brand of MLS, to showcase the brand of Messi, to showcase the brand of Inter Miami to the rest of the world. They wanted to show Saudi Arabia and fans in Japan and fans in, to in uh, Hong Kong what this team is about, what this league is like, Messi and all this stuff. It seems in that sense, it did not go as planned. Let's face it, did not go as planned. The first game, first two games they lost in Saudi Arabia, four to three, and then the disaster 6-0 against Al Nasser without Ronaldo. That was without Ronaldo in the game. They lost 6-0, gave up three goals in the first 12 minutes. Um, it was embarrassing. It was really not what they wanted to showcase around the world. Uh, then they go to Hong Kong and win that game. Four to one. They finally score a bunch of goals, but that's not what anybody will remember about the Hong Kong game. Nobody today is talking about that four to one win in Hong Kong. Everyone is talking about the debacle that happened with their fans who protested, who yelled, who jeered, who whistled and booed and then demanded refunds. And they even booed David Beckham. I mean, nobody boos 
you know, except the, the English fans at one point in history, <laughs> nobody boos David Beckham. You know, he's the golden boy. He went out there to try to placate everybody and, and was welcomed with a bunch of boos. Uh, then they demanded refunds. They eventually did get 50% refunds from the promoter. And the team Inter-Miami got some harsh words from the promoter and from the fans over there and then from the Hong Kong government, which went us, and then the Chinese government, which went a step further and has gone on to cancel the Argentina national team games against Nigeria and Ivory Coast that were supposed to be taking place in China in March. So this became a giant international incident that I'm sure is not what Inter-Miami or MLS or Lionel Messi had in mind when they thought they're going to do these nice little tours in Hong Kong. It turned into a PR disaster. Then he goes to Japan, holds a very rare press conference, but it was the right thing to do. He needed to speak. Um, in my opinion, he should have spoken in Hong Kong to those fans. He, if he had gone out on the field at the end of that game and gotten on the microphone and explained 100%. to everybody or before the game, explain exactly what he did in Japan, exactly what he said in Tokyo, but a couple days earlier to the fans directly of Hong Kong. If he had just said, I am so sorry. I had full intentions to play. I was even on the roster because I so much wanted to play, but I went through the warmups and I just can't, I just can't play, but I really appreciate your support and hello, hello, hello waves all around everyone could get their pictures that they could put on their instagram accounts and i don't i think that they would have avoided a lot of the mess that absolutely. turned out happening how do you how do you feel about that how it was no handled? absolutely that's been my thought about it it was a totally avoidable situation so an injury is unavoidable in that situation not selecting him if he's not fit is unavoidable these are things that just happen but if you have a crowd, I mean, there was there was nearly 40,000 turned up for the training session the day before as well. So you've had an extraordinary level of commitment from those fans, never mind the financial investment they make in those expensive tickets that that really were similar prices to they are uh, have been in the States as well. Um, and exactly, you know, just go out before the game, just go out before the game, explain the situation, tell them, tell the crowd you love them, juggle with the ball a little bit, take some photos with some kids. Do all that stuff, and the situation is, is is maybe not resolved entirely, but there's no scandal, there's no outrage, there's no bitterness. I think it was that feeling that, you know, um, actually that he did a press conference in Japan, just kind of almost rubbed salt into the wounds, really. So it was a mess from a number of points of view. Um, I think the whole tour, to be honest, when it was announced, I think a lot of us looked at it and thought, that's a lot. That's that's a big you know, for a preseason, you want to you want to balance that training ground work that you're going to do, getting all the drills in, getting your fitness up with a little bit of this kind of stuff, because there's obviously a business reality, as you said. Um, it would have been enough just to do the Saudi part or just do the Hong Kong, uh, Japan part to do both of those, I think, because, uh, you know, they're in the situation, like we said, that they're starting their preseason now and they're behind the other teams now, really, in a real sense, they're behind in preparation. I agree fully. I think that the preseason in every sport, whether it's spring training for baseball or the NFL preseason games where, you know, those games, the starters are not, they're, they're working on things. They're experimenting. When you're, when you're in the preseason, the teams are getting fit. They're integrating new players into the yep. system, into the roster, and they have to work on things. They have to experiment. Should they do five in the back? Should they do four in the back? All of these things, those things in the past, 
had always and and with every other team in MLS still right now, those things are primarily done behind closed doors on the training grounds. We in the media never get invited uh, to any of those games in the, in the past. We were trying to find out what was happening in those games. It was very difficult. It was behind closed doors. The teams agree even when they scrimmage each other, other MLS teams, it was behind closed doors. They were not supposed to release any statistics or any of the information because that is supposed to be training. That is preseason training and nobody sees it. This club decided, this club decided to expose the entire world to their preseason. Seven games over five countries, seven games over five countries. When you count El Salvador and the game in Dallas, you're talking about seven games in five different countries and go to Saudi Arabia and then go to Hong Kong and then go to Japan, 24,000 miles of travel. Lionel Messi said it in Japan, in his own words, he was tired. He was mm. tired. He said before that game, it's, it's, you know, I'm very happy to be here in Japan. I've always had a great time in Japan, but I am looking forward to going home after this very long tour. So it was a lot of travel. Uh, you know, these guys are not, some of them are in their mid to late thirties, especially the big stars that everybody is counting on seeing and paying tickets for to see these players. So to have them traipsing, all over the universe in the preseason. And aside from that, aside from that, from a PR standpoint too, you are showing the world your preseason games, which are sometimes ugly. They are not good games. They're not games that you want the public necessarily to see. And that's why most of the games are done behind closed doors. Like I said, you're trying things out. You're trying out new players who maybe don't get much playing time and you want to see how will they respond. All of that was done under the glare of international TV cameras and crowds of 40,000 people paying $500 a ticket to see a preseason game. So, you know, they kind of set themselves up in a way by doing all of those games overseas. And I agree, there's no way they're going to turn down all of the invitations. They have to pay for the, they have to pay the salaries of all these players that they've signed that costs right. a lot of money. And now they are trying to build a stadium, which is going to be privately funded. So they have an opportunity in the next year and a half with Lionel Messi on this team to make a lot of money to pay for all of these expenses. So I could understand a trip to Japan or a trip to Japan slash Hong Kong or a trip to Saudi Arabia. One, not all of it and not El Salvador too. I'm not sure how that got thrown into the mix, but you know, they went all over the place and it was, it was difficult for them. I think and it, there were some moments where I really was feeling bad for the players because yeah. they were just exposed in such a way. It was difficult for them, I think. And, and maybe let's look at positives, perhaps potential positives. Maybe they're going to bond Maybe they bonded going through that adversity as a team because it was pretty much them against the world, especially with after the Hong Kong. It was pretty much those guys against the world. Uh, maybe they will bond in a way that will be helpful to them during the season. And the other positive that I could see is that a few players like Ryan Saylor, Lawson Sunderland, and Yannick Bright, who had who came in for, for Sergio Busquets, 
those are three guys who did, who are not guys you would think have gotten much playing time, but they actually did quite well in the time that they played. They showed that they're at least capable of of being on the field with their teammates and being effective. And so maybe that is something that the coaches got a chance to see them under the bright lights in very intense situations and see how they would respond. What What do you think? Yeah, I think the bonding part of it as well, you know, it's it's they're there in hotels all the time. You know, a, a normal preseason training where if they were mainly being based in Fort Lauderdale, they would go to the ground in the morning, do their session and go home. And, and, and you don't have that level of uh, bonding that you get when you're having lunch and dinner together and breakfast and you're, you're, you're in your spare time, you're playing ping pong together or whatever it is, the video games in their room or whatever they do with their spare time. Um, so that will have that will have created a bond. Undoubtedly, will have done. Um, I think that could have been done in another way. Obviously, um, and I think they should maybe look at these tours. I mean, I, I don't think there's any question that they're going to do these kind of things again, even though it has been so difficult. Because, as you said, the money out there for this kind of thing is a really easy way for them to recoup a lot of resources that they've already put into these players. But the time to do it is surely December, you know, when the season's ended. A postseason post tour. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, we, we see this, you know, we see Premier League teams come over to America and play preseason friendlies that are relatively high profile, but they don't play such an intense schedule as that. Um, you know, they'll maybe play three games over three or four weeks in the States, not, you know, three games in a week or something. Um and uh, but, you know, I think I think that they should look at doing that at the uh, at the end of the season. And, uh, and maybe one or two uh, lucrative summer games, you know, with teams who come over from Europe and so on or go into Europe and play in some. There are some possibilities there. But I think the big miss is, you know, the preseason is about putting down the foundations. You know, it's the foundations, yes, tactically and technically with, with how they're going to line up and so on, but that can always change. That can always be adjusted. It's fitness more than anything. It's, you know, you talk to the coaches of the big clubs, that first week or two, they're running and running. There's nothing modern or sports science about it. It's like you've got to get the miles in. I've got to get your pulse going. And and uh, and I wonder how much of that kind of you know hard graft preseason was really done in that. And that can have enough impact later on in the season, you know, because it's going to be a long season with a lot of soccer for these guys, especially the ones who are still playing international. Uh, football, you know, with Argentina in the Copa America and, and other teams that might into Miami have players on the League's Cup again, you know, the CONCACAF competition. There's a lot going on. And if you presume that into Miami get into the playoffs, they're starting next week and they're going until early December. It's a long, hard season in a lot of hot, difficult conditions. You've got to be fit. And if they haven't put down that foundation now, they better start doing it very soon. Absolutely. You make so many good points. I mean, yes, it's it's a very, very long season. And with Copa America on top of you're talking about potentially 60 games, the, the MLS season is 34 games. They could potentially play somewhere in the 50s and even up to 60 yeah, if, if they make double. a deep run in the playoffs. It's, it's just it's ridiculous to ask an athlete to do that. And so they're going to have Copa America in addition to to Messi, you have. Uh, Luis Suarez, you know, will want to play for and and Diego Gomez uh, with Paraguay and and Campana with Ecuador and then the U.S. guys. If Drake Callender, if Yedlin, if Gressel, whatever these guys, if they are going to be playing for the U.S. team, they have played for the U.S. before. 
there are several players there that they could be losing for Copa America during the summer. And in addition to that, all of the Champions Cup, like you said, the CONCACAF Champions Cup, Leagues Cup again, U.S. Open Cup, it remains to be seen what the MLS teams are going to do with U.S. Open Cup. They're probably going to play their backup players, not necessarily the starters. Uh, but still, it's 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 going to be a grind for everybody on this team. Every single guy on this team, even the ones who are the second team players, they're going to have to do a lot of rotation. There is going to have to be a lot of rotation with this team. And Tata Martino, there's pressure on him. I mean, his biggest challenge, in my opinion, is going to be to figure out who to play when and how many minutes, because there are going to be the fans, the fans who buy tickets for every single Inter Miami game, they are going to want to see the stars and they're going to want to see Messi, whether they're buying a ticket for a CONCACAF Champions Cup game, a Leagues Cup game, an MLS game. The season ticket holders this year are, be, are, are being charged double, double what they paid last year for the same seat. They're going to want to see wins and they're going to want to see Lionel Messi and Busquets and Alba and Suarez. They are paying double the price for their season tickets this year. They're going to want to win and they're going to want to see the star players, both. The people around the country that are buying tickets mainly want to see the star players. They don't care if Inter-Miami wins. In fact, they would like Inter-Miami to lose those games. But they want to see Messi lose in their stadium. They So those fans are paying a lot of money, like the ones in Hong Kong did, and they have certain expectations, even though we know in sport there is no guarantee when you buy a ticket for an Inter-Miami game, you're not buying a ticket for a Lionel Messi concert. You are buying a ticket for a sporting event and, you know, if Lionel Messi were Taylor Swift and she got sick, they would cancel the concert and they would reschedule it. They don't do that in sport because you're buying a ticket to see the team. And you will see the team enter Miami, but you may see Lawson Sunderland and Yedlin and Noah Allen and, you know, Campana. And you, you're not guaranteed that you're going to see Messi, Busquets, Alba and Suarez. That is not a guarantee, but that is the expectation the fans have. So the big challenge for Tata and for this club is who's going to play when, how many minutes are they going to play? How are they going to navigate and manage a season that goes on, as you said, until early December? We are only in early February right now. We're talking about 10 months. You know, that is, that's a really long season. That is a really long season. And with a lot of high expectations, the star players are in their mid to late 30s. It's going to be a challenge. It's going to be a real challenge for this team, figuring out who to play when. Uh, I wanted to ask you also, in the games, assuming that you watched some of those games that they played overseas, Unfortunately, um, yeah. what did you what did you see? Yeah, I know, 3 a.m., 5 a.m. Uh, we were setting our, our alarms at strange hours. Um, what did you see from, from the games that you saw, maybe from the last game, Japan, where – in Tokyo where, where Messi did get to play some in Suarez. What what did you see uh, that you liked? What did you see that would concern you if you were a fan of this team? Well, what would concern me a little bit is, is, uh, is it's kind of linked to the first point you made as well about, you know, these guys not being able to play every game. And that's got to be understood by, by everybody, uh, including the fans. Um, and and th- that number of games you're talking about there, you know, 
going up towards 70 games, you know, um, is Messi going to play half of those? I mean, that would be reasonable for him to play half of those. So, you know, that's that's the scale of what of what we're having to deal with here. Um, and he's going to have to, things are going to have to be prioritised. And I think this is where, you know, linking into the performance thing, Tata's got to have like two or three different teams in his mind, I think. Um, he's got to have the team that he's building that is going to be, I'm guessing they'll prioritise CONCACAF Champions Cup over MLS in the early part of the season because you can play as we saw last season after such a terrible start. You can play catch up in MLS. You can when the Cup of America's over and everything else is over, you can throw everything at getting into the playoffs in MLS. They were too far behind last year. This year I don't think they will be, but um even if the early season form isn't great, you've still got time to catch up. So I would expect they would prioritize those CONCACAF Champions Cup matches when they come along. So he's got to have that team in his mind. What is my CONCACAF Champions Cup team going to look like? Who's going to be in it? How often do I play in the league to give it some momentum and to get them used to playing that way? Then he's got to have um, a a version two, which is the one that's going to play in MLS during the early part of the season, which sometimes will include Messi, sometimes it'll include Busquets, sometimes won't. So, you know, does he then have a third team in his mind for like, okay, League's Cup is a block of fixtures. It's, It's a month. This is what I'm going to do with that team during a month. So it's an extremely complex job he's got to do that. It's very unusual. Um, coaches in Europe don't have to deal with that. They have to deal only with um, a Champions League on a Wednesday and, and, a, and a Premier League or a Serie A on the weekend. And they do have those backup options. They rotate a few players in and out. But I think it's going to be more radical. It's going to be, It's extremely difficult for him. And I'm sure we will hear people saying, the, the oh I don't know what he doesn't know what the best team is oh he there's no continuity there there's no momentum there the can't be he has to have these different options so I think it was important to see some of those younger players you mentioned um, I think some of them had like baptisms of fire in some respect like I felt a little bit sorry for like Noah Allen who who did a lot of good stuff actually but he's thrown in there against let's be honest about these Saudi teams as well they were on a level of a Pretty good European teams. Yeah. I know it's Saudi. No, those Arabia. are the best teams. Yeah, those Saudi Arabian teams are the best teams that they will face this year. I mean, those teams, they have some top Europe, some top players who are playing in Europe who took yeah, the big money you know. to come to Saudi Arabia. So that that's not a joke league. That's those teams, Absolutely. Those two teams that were at the top of that league. I don't know the bottom of that league, but the top few teams in that league are very strong. They really yeah, are. Yeah, no, they're, they're definitely of a level that, if not Champions League group stage, they would be featuring in the Europa League or something like that. You've got players like Brozovic, who was playing for Inter Milan last year and at the top end of Serie A. I mean, loads of them. Sadio Mane wasn't playing, thankfully. That would have been. Never mind Cristiano Ronaldo. Sadio Mane would have been the one uh, causing causing even more problems. But I think Noah Allen will have learned from that. He's probably not going to play in the centre of defence. Uh, but I think he would have learned from that experience being out there. It's good to see him him be involved. And some of those players who've like new newer players for the club who've come in like Gressel are suddenly thrown into in, into that environment of having to deal with you know adversity. He was the guy coming out talking to the media half the time. I know every really... game. Oh, they had <laughs> Gressel. Gressel was all of a sudden he went from not being on the team to being the team spokesman. Yeah, he yeah, was yeah. I felt a bit sorry for him in that respect, but. I, 
too, because he obviously is a nice guy and he's one of the ones that was approachable enough by the Red media. Guy, yeah, to say, yeah. Hey, he's a good guy and he's an experienced guy. So let's throw him out there again. But I mean, this guy, he barely knows the team himself. And he all of a sudden became the spokesman for this team. But he did, like you said, he had been playing for Columbus before. And he mentioned in the when we talked to him before they went on the tour, when we got to meet him and someone asked him, you know, how is it different so far? Your one week that you've been here in training, how's it been different? He said, this is different. The fact that there are this many reporters at a training session in preseason, that's, you know, he said, I can tell already just the amount of attention that this team gets is different. So, yeah, he got to experience the messy mania and what it's like to be one of his teammates, because let's face it, it's not only messy and those top stars that are having to deal with all of the with, you know, the fans surrounding a bus when the team bus arrives to the hotel and and the yelling and the screaming and the booing, having your team booed and whistled. And also, by the way, uh, in that game in Hong Kong, every sub that came in who was not messy, every time they were calling in a substitute and it was not messy, the fans booed relentlessly for that poor player who was coming <laughs> in it was not messy they wanted to see messy take off that green vest so when another player was taking off the green vest they were like boo we don't want to see you we want to see messy you know so those guys those poor players who were thrown into that situation they had to be booed when they're coming into the field those are i mean tough experiences but maybe in the long run learning experiences like if if they didn't get rattled by that, or if they did, they learn how to deal with it so that when they're in the regular season and in some of these CONCACAF games and in tough environments, they will have already had that. They will have already had that experience. So maybe all of this, maybe they all, maybe they knew what they were doing and they <laughs> threw them to the fire and gave them a bunch of adversity and said, this is the adversity tour and we're going to come out of this stronger. I don't know. Time will tell. Time will I mean, tell. They will, they will have bonded and, and you never know. I mean, that's a difficult situation. And next time they, they're going to get booed again. They're going to, they're going to go and play in, uh, in Dallas or somewhere or, or, or wherever in MLS where people are excited that Messi's coming and he's not there and they're going to boo into Miami all through the game. And they've already dealt with that now. It's not something new to them. So, yeah, and, and a few a few of those sort of things that I heard fans talking about when, for example, uh, Joseph Martinez was let go, when Suarez came in and people were like, oh, can you have Campana and Suarez on the same roster and so on? I think, you know, the fact that Suarez's knee is, is, is still an issue, that he's not going to be able to play back-to-back -back games in three days very often, shows you why Tata wanted to keep Campan on his roster because he's a direct uh, replacement for him in a way that, that, that Martinez wouldn't have been. So there's lots of little things like that that were answered, lots of options that we could uh, look at and see what's available to Tata. I think one of the the uh, encouraging things is that you know, people question the, the defence in the side and that's obviously been strengthened uh, with Ferias, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, coming in. Um, and then you look at it and you think, yeah, it's not just the back line. They need somebody maybe there as alongside Busquets, who's more of a defensive midfielder. And now it seems like Redondo, if, if that if that move gets confirmed, uh, is, is, is the player who can do that. So those little gaps that were theoretical when we would talk about it and chat about it in, in, in the offseason, 
when you see those preseason games, you go, yeah, they really do need somebody in that position. And, and obviously, Tato's seen that as well, and he, he's, he's gone and uh, been able to recruit that. Yeah, definitely. You see, you see the areas that are exposed when they're in games like that. And it's even if, like you said, you thought that maybe they were a little weak in those areas. You see that they're glaring like, uh oh, we really do need to fix this. We can't just put a Band-Aid on this. We need to do surgery here. You know, this is a serious situation. And yes, Federico Redondo, um, I believe that that deal is going to happen. I mean, everything that I'm hearing is yeah. that it is almost a done deal. And this is a guy who was getting a young player, 21 years old, so they can get him in under the under 22 initiative. And uh, he only counts as $200,000 against the cap. We're not going to even get into all the details of the cap because we don't have enough minutes in this show to explain the salary uh, things that go on with Inter with uh, MLS and Inter-Miami. You know, the way they have to manage Chris Henderson, it's like a big puzzle to put it all together with all I the designations that of job all the at players. All. <laughs> oh, I would not want that job at all. But this Federico Redondo, is, he has, has definitely been – uh, on the radar of scouts overseas, and I know in England and in Spain and places. Bayern Munich were very been, keen on him. Yeah, Bayern Munich was very hot on him, yes. And I thought he was going to go to Bayern Munich, and then all of a sudden Inter-Miami comes chiming in, and it looks like uh, an $8 million, I believe, uh, transfer fee to get yeah. him. So I think that that is going to happen, and it's it's good for Inter-Miami because he's he's of age where he can fall into the young young DP level where they don't have to count his salary up in total against the full salary cap. So, so that works out and he does play. I've seen him mentioned at, or compared to a young Sergio Busquets, that he's a player who plays a deep lying position like Sergio Busquets, who's a very good passer and has good field vision. That's what I've heard. I haven't seen him play enough myself. Yeah, he's a to defensive know. midfielder in that in that in that sort of model. Maybe a little bit more on the defensive, stronger than Busquets on that sense. But I mean, to be to be even talked about on the level with passing with Busquets, his Redondo's father. This is one of those like, how old am I moments? Because I actually covered his father <laughs> playing in Europe when he played for uh, AC Milan after he'd had a great career at, at Real Madrid. Uh, Fernando Redondo. So it was. Uh, yeah, if he's half the player his father was, he's a great, a great signing. What was his What was his father like? What was he like, just as a as a player, as a person? Uh, as a person, absolute gentleman. Yeah, as a as a as a as a player, he was a, a midfield general. You'd say, you know, he he took control of the game in the middle of the park. I mean, his time at AC Milan, he was injured a lot. He was right at the end of his career, but he was in some some Real Madrid sides that were very good, but weren't yet at that Galacticos level that they became came to. And he was like one of the standout players at that time. Yeah. Yeah. So this is his son. I mean, so he has his genes. He watched his father all that time. And I'm sure his dad was probably coaching him on the sideline and, and probably still is coaching him in his ear and texting him and talking to him after games. So, so that'll be interesting. Yeah, I think he's going to join the team soon. And so we've got the, uh, the Newell's game uh, on Thursday, which will be a chance for them to play against, uh, Messi's boyhood, you know, hometown team and, and Martino Tata's hometown team also. So I'm sure it's going to be a very sentimental game for those two. I assume Lionel Messi is going to play in that game because that's the whole reason that they're coming is because this is his hometown team. So I assume that fans who bought tickets for this game will be able to see him play again. I don't know how many minutes and then. Next Wednesday is next Wednesday is it. So their, their preseason really 
the real preseason work, what we talked about earlier, is is going is happening this week, right here in Fort Lauderdale in their training grounds, and uh, and we'll see. Thursday they've got the Newell's game, then they have a few more days of training, and next Wednesday at eight o'clock, uh, the proof that this team has a giant pink and black target on its back and is the focal point of the whole league is that the only game the MLS season is opening on Wednesday with one game and one game only inter Miami against Real Salt Lake. The rest of the teams will start up the following weekend, but Wednesday all eyes on Inter Miami, and you know that Ralph Salt Lake, Pablo Mastroeni, I covered him. Talk about being old. I covered Pablo Mastroeni and Chris Henderson, by the way, when they played for Miami Fusion. Pablo Mastroeni is now in charge of Ralph Salt Lake. So, you know, he has special feelings about this particular area of the country. And you know that his team has been preparing behind closed doors, preparing for this game against Inter Miami on Wednesday the 21st. So uh, it's going to be really interesting. The one thing I can say for certain, I don't know how they're going to do this year. I don't know how deep they're going to go. I don't know if everyone's going to stay healthy. That is all remains to be seen. I do know it's going to be a fascinating year for Simon and for me and for everyone else who covers this team, because it's a very interesting storyline to see what happens with this team. Oh, absolutely. It's going to be, I mean, it could either be, you know, it could be like a remarkable season with multiple trophies and celebrations and open bus stops going down uh, various streets in South Florida. It could be all of that and a Copa America for Messi in the middle of it as well. Or it could be a giant circus that goes wrong. Uh, and and the, 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 the tour we just saw is, is, is a forerunner of what's to come. Lot, anything could happen, probably something in between those two things, I think, but but anything could happen. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's going to be great. It's, there's going to be, again, so much to watch for, so many storylines to follow, and very unprecedented. I mean, you know, as I've been a sports writer 35 years. This is a new one. This is a yeah. new one for me, this, this type of team. I mean, I've covered a lot of different types of teams, but this is going to be an interesting new storyline. So I want to thank Simon. You've been a fabulous guest. It's been so interesting to hear your, your perspective. You know the team. You know the game so well. And uh, and I do this, you know, to sign up. This is the Pistolero, which he has not gotten to do yet very often, just one time. So we'll see how many of these he gets to do during the season. But uh, for everyone who is watching, who's listening, who's tuning in to Inside Inner Miami, we really appreciate you continuing to follow the show and you know the season is about to start we're going to be here every single week we'll have a lot to talk about so please keep tuning in and simon i hope that you will come back numerous times as the season goes on yes it would be great to hear from you uh, all throughout the season so thank you so much simon thank you to everybody who's tuned in and have fun enjoying the show we will see you again next week